0: morning again. If you have your Bibles, if you could take them out and turn to Luke chapter 10, I'd appreciate that. And if you do not have the message outlined, go back there at the ministry counter right out these center doors and get a copy of that. When I think of Jesus, we just sang wonderful songs about Jesus and the greatness of Jesus. I think of so many things. But one of the things that stands out to me about Jesus is his compassion. Jesus had so much compassion when you read the Gospels. Uh, Jesus loved people, didn't he? I mean, he truly, truly loved people. There, there may have been really religious lu- rulers who were blinded by the robes. may have been broken sinners who were blinded by their guilt, but he, Jesus reached out to them, and then he loved them. He just loved them unconditionally. Jesus loved them, didn't he? And, and he gave us the challenge that you and I would go do, do it likewise. It would be the same way. And yet we have found it hard to do that, right? We found it hard to have that radical compassion for others don't we let's be honest it's hard to do that and it's not that we're bad people it's just that sometimes we're just too busy too busy to see people around us who are actually that are dying and have desperate needs i want to look at that value we've been going through our values as a church and the one this one this morning is radical compassion for jesus of course first but for people reflect the love of jesus and i want to be a church that has radical compassion for people don't you i want to be a church that has that uh that we have that i I think we have that value but we have room to grow in it don't we we have room to say hey let's give our hearts and minds let's strive for that they have that radical compassion like jesus and reflect the love of jesus to other people i want to be a church that's like that if you have your bibles turn to luke chapter 10 in Luke chapter 10 uh, Jesus about ready to tell a parable tell a story is a story that has deep spiritual meaning I've shared with you before always when you're looking at a parable of, of Jesus you want to dig down a little deeper and start asking some questions and say why did they share the story what was the purpose of him sharing the story and what was the question that he was trying to answer in here in this parable it's this one's really easy because there's the question he's trying to answer is two questions actually they came from a lawyer or an expert of the law let's begin reading in luke chapter 10 verse 25 it says on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test jesus teacher he asked what must i do to inherit eternal eternal life an expert in the law is someone who knew the law of moses really well the first five books of the old testament right and so he asked what must i do to inherit eternal life That's not a bad question He he, he has a question concerning eternal life, and he doesn't know how to get it. So it's a really, really good question, isn't it? A really good question to ask. Jesus says to him, verse 26, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Verse 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, in verse 28, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That becomes the second question, where he asks, who is my neighbor? And that's the question that Jesus is answering in the parable he's about to tell. That's the question, who is my neighbor? But before we get to that question, let's go back to the first question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We look at that from our perspective, after the death of Jesus, we say, you can't inherit eternal life, right? Eternal life is a free gift. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't buy it. You have to receive that gift. Understand that Jesus Christ died in the cross for your sins. Amen? That's how you receive it. Understand that Jesus Christ died in the cross for your sins. And putting your faith and trust in Jesus, you respond there by faith. But I love the answer that Jesus gave him. He says, you're an expert in the law. What is written in the law? What does the law have to say? So the man answered with two verses. And he put them together, two verses. The first verse he got was from deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 we're going to start reading from verse 4 deuteronomy 6 4 says this Hear, O israel love the lord your god the, the, the lord your god the lord is one then verse 5 says love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength it's a basic way of ex- expressing in hebrew love god with everything you've got love the lord your god with your total being is what he's saying Give him everything. Don't hold anything back, but love him that way. Then he combines another verse with this in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, that says, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus carried this theme into the New Testament when someone asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus shared in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 39, our memory verse for this week. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest command. and The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the lawyer, the expert in law, he answered correctly, didn't he? He gave the right answer. And Jesus responds by, now go and do it. Go do exactly what you said. So the lawyer now is trying to justify himself. And by trying to justify himself, he finds a loophole here. And lawyers are good at that, right? Finding loopholes, right? They find loopholes all the time. And many of us Christians are very good at finding loopholes, too. We kind of look for those loopholes to get by. And he asked the question, then who's my neighbor? In other words, if I can narrow down that definition of neighbor, then I don't have to change my lifestyle. That's what he was asking. And so he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, then my neighbor is my wife. Done. I'm doing that, right? I've done that. That's what he's saying. I've done that. Or my neighbor is this person who lives on this side of me, But not on this side. It's that side. Not this one because I don't get along. But on that side. That's, That's my neighbor, right? That's what we say. Or so often we define neighbor as somebody we love. Somebody that we're related to. Somebody that looks like us. Somebody that thinks like us. Somebody that has the same political persuasion as us. That's my neighbor. And that's how we define neighbor. Jesus is going to take that definition of neighbor and he's going to expand it in such a way that this man, this expert in law, he's either going to have to change his lifestyle are going to have to admit that he's not living the command is what Jesus is going to do. That's what this parable is all about. He's going to get this man to, to admit, I'm not living it, or I'm going to have to change my lifestyle. So let's look at this passage, and we'll find that that radical compassion of Jesus compels us past our comforts. Three steps to radical compassion for people. So let's read the story, read the parable now, in verses 30 to 33, this parable. And by the way, Jesus is a master storyteller. I mean, people come up, they share things with them, and he comes up in these stories just like that, and he begins to share. Masty storyteller, and he shares this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. Let's understand the road that he was talking about here. Uh, the man was going from Jerusalem to where? Jericho. Yeah, well, you can straight to Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho, which means he's got to go east a number of miles. Then he's going to have to turn left. And now the pathway is flat all the way to Jericho. But in that 17 miles, the elevation drops from Jerusalem in the hill, hilltop country down to Jericho in the Rift Valley, it drops about 3,300 feet. And it's called today the Wadi Kelt. What is a wadi? It's just a deep valley. But this road is treacherous, it's dangerous, it's difficult, it's hard walking and all that. And whether you're going downhill or whether you're going uphill, there are lots of places along the way that robbers can hide in the caves of those limestone rocks and maybe to ambush travelers as they did in this story. So they ambushed this guy, and they stripped him, they beat him, and they left him half-dead, is what the Bible says. Have you ever been half-dead? Have you ever been half-dead? If you're half-dead, you're going to need some attention, right? You're going to need some help, right? You're going to need some attention, help. That's what Jesus was doing. Going to need some attention, going to need some help. So this story, in this story, there will be three people that's going to come by, and the expert in the law, or this lawyer, is listening to this, and he's going to have to give an answer to the question with regards to the definition of a neighbor. What is the definition of neighbor? Jesus is about to answer it to him. What is the definition? So the first guy comes by and is a priest. A priest would have his long robe on. He sees the man beaten. What does he do? He sees the man, and he walks on the other side of the road, and he continues on walking. And you look at this man and say, what are you doing? Was that the whole reason you got into ministry, so you could worship God and serve God by serving people right and that's what you're supposed to do is serve people in fairness to the priest there's a passage in the book of leviticus that says if you're a priest and you're sanctified or or been cleansed in the temple you cannot touch a dead man's body but the bible makes it clear jesus makes it clear that this man is not dead he's what half dead so this priest has half an excuse of why he didn't minister to this man as he should right but he didn't minister to him and so he went across the road and he continued walking on to his journey, continued going on. The next guy comes along, and the Bible said he is a Levite. The Levite, in other words, he's an order of a priest, so probably has the long robe on, too. And he walks, and he he sees the man. He does the exact same thing as the priest did. He goes the other side of the road, and he continues on his journey. We see that, right? Are these bad men? No, I don't think they're bad men. They're just busy men. Maybe his excuse is, you know, I, I, I don't know first aid. I don't have a first aid kit with me. What am I supposed to do? Or I don't have any money. I don't have any food. I don't have any bandages. What am I supposed to do? I can't help him. i got to keep going. I have an appointment. I've got to get to where I'm going, right? We do that when we pass by somebody in the road, don't we? We drive by somebody and their, their car is kind of broken down over there. We see them they have a flat tire. And we say, you know, I, I don't have a degree in changing tires now we say i don't have this or i don't have that and i can't do this and i can't do that and i and i'm in a hurry i mean look at me i'm all dressed up how can i get down and help this person right or we say boy i've got an appointment and i cannot be late for this appointment we make all kinds of excuses and maybe we take out our cell phone and we call maybe a tow truck or somebody for them or something like that but you see what i'm saying we, we look in the area rochelle and the surrounding areas we say we can't reach everyone for jesus right we say i can't reach everyone for jesus what are we going to do as individuals, as followers of Jesus Christ? What are we going to do as that? We all need to look at in front of us. Look in front of us. There's somebody there. Except you were sitting in front. I'm here, right? So I'm here. So you guys are in the front row. I'm here. You look to the left of you. Well, that would be this way. You're right. You're right of you. There's someone there. You look to the other side. There's someone there. Take your pick. You need to reach them for Jesus. Not only in church, but we're out there in the world. There's someone in front of us. There's someone to the right of us. There's someone to the left of us. We need to reach them for Jesus. We need to share Jesus with them. We need to somehow show Jesus to them. Is that That's what we're called to do, right? Every one of us, to show Jesus to them. Then what happens? A third guy comes along. and The Bible says he's a Samaritan. In contrast to the first two people, we need to understand what Samaritans were, and some of you may not understand. If you look at the land of Israel— my hand represents the land of Israel. It's a land mass of about the size of the state of New Jersey. Okay, that's how big uh, uh, Israel is. On the western side would be the Mediterranean. On the eastern side would be the desert. Uh, it, it's really what it is. is a It's kind of joins two continents, kind of roadway between two continents. But as you go here, the, it, one one time it was all Israel, but until it was divided, now just the southern part is really Israel. Down here in the southern part you have Judah. At the northern part, you have Galilee, right? The northern part's Galilee, the southern part is Judah. But in between here, right in the center here, you have this land called Samaria. And the people that lived in this land were Jews who had intermarried with the invading Assyrians. So the Jews to the north in Galilee and the Jews to the south, down in Judah and Jerusalem and those areas, they looked at the land of Samaria as, as polluted and defiled. And they looked at the people that lived in this land as polluted and defiled. And they looked down upon these people. Matter of fact, that they were going to travel from the south, from Jerusalem up to Galilee, they wouldn't go through Samaria. They would go around it because they did not want to be defiled. That's how they looked at them. And we have a story in John chapter 4 where Jesus had need to go through Samaria. So he went through Samaria, and he met a woman there at the well, and he introduced her to salvation and told her about water, where if she drank it, she would never thirst again, right? Suffice to say that the Jews to the north and the Jews to the south, they hated They hated the people of Samaria. They hated those Jews. They couldn't stand them. And the, and the Samaritans, the, the feeling was mutual. They couldn't, they couldn't stand them. They hated them. And so he's telling this story, and he's including the Samaritan with the Jew, understanding how they feel about each other. They hate each other. They do not like each other at all. So a Samaritan came along to a Jewish man they would listen at what what are you talking about who was stripped of his clothing beaten and left half dead so the first step to radical compassion for people here's your outline here's your first fill in the blank there open our eyes to those in need open your eyes to those in need the bible says in verse 33 he took pity on him that word pity could be translated at compassion had compassion on him he saw him To me, that's the key to compassion. He saw him. He had compassion on him. He took pity on him. In other words, in the original, what it means, a word that means deep emotion that flushes itself out in action. He just didn't have pity or or compassion, but it flushed himself out in action is what it's talking about there. In other words, instead of saying somebody's got to do something, he says, I've got to do something. doesn't point it to everyone else. I've got to do something myself. I've got to do something about this. So the Samaritan he opened his eyes. His eyes were open, right? His eyes were open. So must ours. Our eyes must be open. We must open our eyes to the needs of those around us. And it sounds so simple, but it's it's really difficult to sometime. Because if you're like me, I'm a very focused person. You may not know this about me, but I'm very focused. And I can walk around with, I mean, I notice a lot of things around me. My wife can tell you. I can notice if something's moved. But if I'm doing something or I'm going into To or Rockford to go get something. I'm focused. I'm in the store to go get exactly what I went there for, get it, and I'm gone out. I've got to conquer it. I'm that kind of concrete person. If I'm out doing a project at the house, I'm so focused, I'm oblivious to what's around me. And sometimes what we need to do is take a step back and take our, our hands down from our side and just look to the left and look around and look to the right and see others around us. We need to open our eyes and ask God, give me eyes to see the needs of other people. There's desperate needs all around us wherever you go. Not just in, in maybe in our homes, with our neighbors, in our workplace, at stores, walking, just going for Wherever we go, God, open our eyes. And the Samaritan, he opened his eyes. With the first two, the priest and Levite, did not have open eyes. So that's the beginning. We have to open our eyes to the needs around us. The second step to radical compassion for people, as we see, is generous, give generously to those in need. Give generously. Let's look at verse 34 and 35. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after me, said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra, any extra expense you may have that's a big deal because this Samaritan had compassion and met needs and it cost him something it cost him it's always going to be a sacrifice it's always always going to cost you something when you show radical compassion for someone you realize it it's going to cost you so expect that the wording there in regards to oil and wine what it says is probably just an old expression to say that he gave medical attention and he met physical needs that's all it really means He gave medical attention. He met physical needs. Bandaged his wounds with oil and cloth and given him wine to drink is what he did. But he was probably there in the heat, just exhausted and beaten, and he's half dead. And so this man comes, the Samaritan, and puts this man who's been beaten on his donkey. So now the Samaritan is walking, isn't he? He's walking. And he's leading this animal along with this man that's half dead on his donkey. And you have to be thinking to yourself, is he thinking about his own risk? Is he thinking about himself? Is, is he thinking, I could be killed here as well? I could be beaten. Is this a scam? Is somebody going to ambush me right here? I don't have an, enough money for my own journey, and now I have this. But the Bible tells us he just met the man's needs, is what he was doing. He met the man's needs. He met the need, and then he got to the end, probably a hostile of some sort to him, where the man could have food, water, and sleep, could be provided at the inn. But he gives the innkeeper, the Bible says, two silver coins, or two Greek denarii. One Greek denarii was the equivalent of one day's wage of a laborer. He gave two days, two days' wage, which would be sufficient for three weeks of food and lodging. Think about giving somebody that amount of money. Here's enough money for three weeks of food and lodging. So he gave a lot. Did he? Would you agree? that was a lot for three weeks of food to lodge in that time but there was more he didn't stop there and say, oh that's enough that's enough I've given enough he said whatever else you spend go ahead and spend it when I return I will reimburse you the full amount I'm going to reimburse you I'm going to give you all it is he already gave a lot but he's willing to give more whatever it takes right is what he's willing to do and you look at that wow you look at the sh- that's shocking what what was happening there but the shocking part that if you would ask that expert in the law that lawyer ahead of time There's going to be one of these guys who's going to show compassion to a neighbor, and you have the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan. For that of law, the Samaritan wouldn't be third on the list. He would say, well, it's going to have to be the priest or Levite, because there's no way that the hero is going to be a Samaritan. There's no way that a Samaritan's going to be nice to a Jewish man. There's no way that's going to happen. That's what he would say. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. What Jesus is saying, this is huge, our definition of a neighbor, the walls of that definition just got blown out, that's what he was doing. It just got blown out. That a neighbor is anybody and everybody that's in our pathway that may not look like us, they may not talk like us, they may not think like us, but if they have a need, and if they have a need, and I'm a messenger of Jesus, and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I say I'm a follower, that I put my faith and trust in Jesus, then I have to show radical compassion to that person is what he's saying whoever it is doesn't matter I have to show radical compassion I'm obligated to do that because they're my neighbor right that's what he's saying to do that it's always always going to cost you something and, and it may be as easy as simple as giving attention with open eyes to a need it, it, it may be writing a check or giving some cash or something like that it may be being a late to an appointment It may be getting your clothes a little dirty. You know, I'm all dressed up getting clothes a little dirty. And there may be a risk involved. Anytime you're going to show radical compassion for others, there's going to be all that involved, one of those involved at least. There's going to be a sacrifice. There's going to be a cost is what he's saying. And the Samaritan was willing to pay the cost. It reminds me of a time where Jesus was meeting with some religious big shots for dinner. And this lady just broke in unannounced and uninvited and they recognized her from the streets and she got down on her knees and she began to worship Jesus. And those religious big shots were kind of upset about that. And the host came up to Jesus and says, apparently, you don't know who this woman is. Apparently, they didn't understand the radical compassion of Jesus because Jesus teaches an incredible principle right there. He says this to them. Those who have been forgiven much, love much, right? Those who have been forgiven much, love much. We've all been forgiven very, very much. And sometimes as believers in Jesus Christ, maybe before you came to Christ, you didn't think you were that big of a sinner, but I'll accept Jesus because I need him. And sometimes after we're saved, we start thinking we're pretty good people, and I'm not that big of a sinner. I mean, I'm not like that guy or that lady. I'm not like that or those people on TV where I see or I read about. Boy, they're really big sinners, like those Hollywood stars or this, this, and they're all big sinners. The problem with that is that's not our standard, is it? Those people out there in our standard of how we're to live by. When you start reading the Gospels, you read, you realize the standard is Jesus Christ. And the standard, he is perfect, he's holy, righteous, and just in all of his ways. Not sometimes, in all of his ways. And When you and I really start studying the Gospels and, and, and really looking at the life of Jesus, we start understanding how big and great of sinners that we actually all are. That's not only my actions do I sin but it's in my thoughts. It's in my motives. It's in my attitudes. It's in my behavior. Not doing the things that I should be doing and doing the things I should not be doing. When I start looking at myself, at the standard against Jesus, I realize we're all great, 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 great big sinners, aren't we? Let's be honest. If you don't see yourself that way, you're not looking at yourself honestly. You're not looking at yourself with the standard of perfection of Jesus. That even my thought life, even the things that go through my mind and the things that I know I should be doing that I don't do. That I'm a sinner. We all are. We have propensity to sin and do great sins. And we do it. And the only one is perfect And that Jesus is the standard. So we realize that, God, I have been forgiven very, very, very much. Amen? We have all have. We don't want to gloat over our sin. We want to gloat over our Savior, of his forgiveness that he offers to every one of us. So it doesn't matter what we've done. So I've been forgiven much, so therefore we... Oh, come on. Therefore, we love much, right? We're to love him. We're to love him because we've been forgiven much. We've all been forgiven much. Not just because of someone lit in the streets, they've been forget- we've all been forgiven much. That's what the Bible tells us. So let's get back to Luke chapter 10 and learn what we can from Jesus, of this story. The third step to radical compassion for people is love all people with a heart of compassion. Love all people with a heart of compassion. Let's read verse 36 and 37. Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers the expert in the law replied the one who had mercy on him Jesus told him go and do likewise you read this you almost want to stop and say go ahead and say the word tell the man the expert in the law say Samaritan he can't even mention the man's name who he was he can't even say it he can't even say it here he can't all he can do is describe it and Jesus described him as a Samaritan as he traveled is what he says But the expert in the law can't deny it. The one who was the real neighbor, the one who actually acted like the real neighbor, he can't bring himself to say the word, but it was a Samaritan who the Jews hated and the Samaritans hated the Jews. They despised them, but it was the Samaritan that did this. And Jesus told him, now I want you to go and do likewise, just like that Samaritan, I want you to go and do likewise. To me, what is interesting and fascinating to the Jews at that time and to many Jews today, that every morning when they wake up, They're going to quote Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And before they go to bed, they're going to quote that same verse, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And in between the morning and the evening, they're going to put on their religious robes, their righteous robes, but those holy robes don't make a holy heart. Does that make sense? Just because they put on those holy robes don't mean they make a holy heart. And and unless we're too critical of ourselves, I begin to think about ourselves. I begin to think about myself. We come to church on Sunday, we sing the songs, and then we come back the following Sunday, and we sing the songs, and in between there we have 168 hours to show the radical compassion of Jesus. And if we don't, it's not because we're bad people, it's just because we're too busy. We're too busy doing our own agenda and our own schedules of those things that is important to us. And all the while, in all that time, God has strategically placed people in our pathways that are half dead. Listen to me, they're half dead. Emotionally, perhaps physically, financially, and spiritually, they're half dead. And they desperately need help, just like that person on the side of the road. And that's the point Jesus is getting at. They're half dead. Every time we go out, we're seeing people like that. And then it begins with you and I, just open our eyes. God, give me open eyes to see these opportunities. Let me see these people. Let me be willing to listen. Let me be willing to talk with them. Let me be willing to do something. And then the next point, is, it goes to generosity giving, that, that my eyes are open and I have pity or compassion, which compels me to flush it out in action, right? that i'm compelled to flesh it out in action not just say somebody needs to do something no i need to do something about this and it causes me to action to show the compassion of jesus to everyone around us that's what we're supposed to do that's what jesus was teaching here that's what he constantly taught in the gospels that you and i show the compassion not just a few people but everyone around us wherever we go always looking to show compassion throughout the new testament Jesus was challenging his disciples, and anyone who would listen to him, that our love for God is intrinsically connected to our love for people. That our love for God is so intertwined with our love for people. In fact, the apostle John writes in 1 John, he says, how can you say you love God and you don't love people around you? Your practice defies your confession. They're connected. If you and I say, boy, I have such a great love for god but i don't love people then you're not really loving god our love for people shows that we really have a love for god and the more we love god the more we love god the more we love people because god loves people and we want to do what god calls us to do amen so if i'm saying i have a love for god it's got to be connected my love for other people and therefore i'll have compassion on all other people right they're tied together they're tied together when i look at this passage I see, really, three philosophies of life flushed out in this passage. The first philosophy is the philosophy of the robber, who basically says, what, what yours is mine, and I'm going to take it, right? That's what he said. What yours is mine, I'm going to take it. Then you have the philosophy of the rich r- religious, who says, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. Then you have the philosophy of the righteous, who says, what my, what's mine is yours, if you need it. Which one is yours? Which one is your philosophy of life? Which one do you have? We all have one of those, right? We all have one of those. We live by one of those standards. Radical compassion. The greatest example of radical compassion is Lord Jesus, who lived that out every day. Just look at the Gospels. He lived that out every day, radical compassion. But the greatest of those days of radical compassion, you know it, is the day that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Nothing compares to that day. Do you realize that? For all of eternity, we will look, be, be looking back at that day when God demonstrated his radical compassion, when Jesus demonstrated his radical compassion. Nothing will come close to that day when he stretched out his arms and he died on the cross for your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world. Radical compassion. We see it all over through the Gospels. Jesus had radical compassion for any, anyone and everyone, no matter who they were. They came to him. He's always willing to minister to them. Radical compassion. And I want our church, crossroads committing to church. I want to be in a church that has radical compassion for people. To reflect the love of Jesus to those around us. I mean we have it, but we definitely haven't arrived. I haven't arrived at that for sure. Now I'm not saying I've done no, I, I'm far from that. But let's strive for that, guys. Let's strive for that. This man, we gotta have a radical compassion. Let's not wait to start it next week or next month. Let's start it today to have radical compassion for people what kind of people would we be and, and a church would be if every day we looked to have radical compassion for someone that our eyes would be open we see people around us and would have that compassion for them and not looking for somebody needs to do something so i'm going to do something how that would change our lives how that would change the people's lives around us how that would change our church and our community around us if we'd all decide just this group here if we decide i'm going to have radical compassion for others god open my eyes and allow me to flush it out with action with generosity allow me to reflect the love of jesus wherever i go just imagine the impact that we could have see we gather and show radical compassion through our handing out food with the northern illinois food bank we do that through visitors through other people we do that but not just corporately when we gather together but we have to do it as individuals as we scatter As we go out and in many places in this area and every day, God gives us opportunity to show that radical compassion for someone to reflect the love of Jesus that we might see people who are half dead. Perhaps emotionally, financially, physically, but definitely spiritually. They're dead. And they need someone to show them Jesus, right? And that's what we're called to do. Every one of us are called to do that, to have radical compassion for Jesus let's drive on that one let's work on that value okay it's a big value that we all need to have if we want to really reflect through Jesus and the love of Jesus we have to have radical compassion and it all starts with him for him first we can't have radical compassion for people we can have compassion for people but not the compassion that the Bible talks about like Jesus the only way we can have this is through Jesus the closer we get to him the greater we can have radical compassion for others let's do that Let's draw close to him so we can have that radical compassion. If you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, it all starts there. That you need to understand that Jesus has radical compassion for you so much that he came to die on the cross for your sins. He didn't leave you stuck in your sins, separated from him, but he came to do something about it and say, who's going to do something? Jesus, I'm going to do something about it. And he came and he died on the cross For your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the whole world, so you and I now can have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus. And through Jesus, our faith and trust in Jesus, we find forgiveness of sins, we find eternal life, we find our future sealed in Jesus Christ, that one day we will be with him forever. And now, through Jesus, you and I are able to have radical compassion for others, right? But it all comes by us putting our faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. To realize that we're all sinners— And that Jesus is son of God, he's God, and he died on the cross for our sins. And we respond by faith, by putting our faith and trust in Jesus. If you've never done that, please do that today. If you have questions about that, please come and see me after the service. But let's all of us, let's be in prayer and asking the Holy Spirit of God, God, open our eyes. Open our eyes that we might see. Then God, give us the generosity that we need to show others that we might have a radical compassion for Jesus, reflecting the love of Jesus to others. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We thank you so much of the example that we have. Lord, we read these parables, we see there's so much in these parables, what you're teaching, what you're answering, uh, what you're showing us. To show us what a neighbor truly is, Lord, it's not just the people we think are neighbors. It's anyone in our pathway. Anyone that comes around us, it's our neighbor. And we're to treat them that way. We're to treat them the way Jesus would treat them. We're to treat them with radical compassion, with love. Open our eyes and, and to show them compassion and help them in whatever way we can, whatever way possible. And Lord, we realize that, Lord, we have to step out of our comfort zone, realize it's going to cost us something, maybe some time, maybe some money, maybe get a little dirty. Maybe it might be a risk that we have to get involved. And who knows what it may mean? Lord, we would be willing to take a step out of our comfort zone and be obedient to you in all of this. Help us, Lord. Help us not to stay in our comfort zone. So I can't do that, but God, I'm going to trust you. And through you, I can do all things And we can. So Lord, help us to have that radical compassion for people. And it first starts opening our eyes to Jesus. Open our eyes to him so he may open our eyes to others. May we really see the needs of others. May us earnestly look for the needs of others. And then, Lord, give us that generosity that we need to have, that compassion that we need to have toward others. Help us, Lord. None of us arrived in this. None of us have. There's plenty of uh, for, uh, room for growth in all of our lives for this, especially myself, Lord, in our church. So, Lord, I pray that this is a value that we would grow in as Crossroad Community Church and a value we would grow in as individuals. Lord, I pray for anyone here that does not know Jesus Christ, their Savior. I pray that they would realize that Jesus loves them unconditionally. And he came to prove his love by dying on the cross for their sins. And they can have a relationship with God and forgiveness of sins by coming and putting their faith and trust in Jesus. I pray for their soul this morning that they would do that. Lord, help us to come to you on bending knee in humility, realizing there was no one like you. And Lord, we're never going to be able to have radical compassion for people on our own. We can't build it up in ourselves. We don't have the strength to do it. We don't have the willpower to do it the way the Bible talks about. So, Lord, the only way we're going to do this, we yield our hearts and minds to you every day, all the time, and allow you to open our eyes and give us the generosity to others and have concerns for others. Then step out in faith and show that radical compassion like you did. So as we sing this next song, Lord, we'd be willing to surrender our hearts and minds to you and say, God, I haven't done this before, and I've been afraid. I've been afraid that if I had stepped out, maybe something might happen to me, might put my life in risk. But, God, I'm going to trust you every step of the way, and you're going to help me to open my eyes and have radical compassion for others. Lord, we praise you. We love you. Help us to trust you, to really trust you with our lives. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name.